Hi everyone, I'm Shakisha Morgan, AKA the Legacy Counselor and welcome to Estate Ready. This podcast was created with one goal, to communicate that estate planning is for everyone. Yes, including you. We're gonna take some of our favorite famous black folks, talk about their estates and get some key takeaways that you can apply in your own life. My co-host for this season is none other than the brilliant Dr. Takia Robinson, my sister and friend, and also one half of the dynamic duo of the Get and Grown podcast. She's here to make sure that I don't do too much lawyer talk and that I answer the pressing questions that you all want to know. If you have a celebrity that you want us to talk about or some pressing questions regarding estate planning or estate administration, email us at estatereadypodcast at gmail.com. I have to say that this podcast, you listening to it, does not count as legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship between myself and you, the listener. But listen, y'all, if we stay ready, we ain't got to get ready. So let's get estate ready. Now let's get into the show. Happy Friday, which is the last Friday of Financial Literacy Month. I'm so excited about the person yeah. we're talking about today. We're talking about Bob Marley. Now let me just, let me just tell y'all why I'm very excited to talk about Robert Nesta Marley. So for those of you who don't know, my personal background is that I am a, J- a Jamaican. So shout out to all the yachties out there. And my daughter, even though she wasn't named after him, my daughter's name is Marley. So I'm excited to talk about Robert today, especially because this estate is a mess. So, (laughs) so, you know, (laughs) you know, I, I don't always like mess, but this one has some unique things that have happened in this estate in particular that made me very excited to talk about it. So today we'll be talking about Robert Nesta Marley. You'll have to forgive me in advance for my voice. I'm getting over a cold, hashtag no COVID. Um, but I'm excited to be here with you all and joined by my dear Dr. Kia, who's joining us for hey, friends. I, on the other hand, am a non-Jamaican. So I will do my very best here. Uh, uh, but I, I'm pretty sure that if I happen to air, Keisha will bring me right back to where we need. Yes, to be. I will. Um, I I have enjoyed learning about Bob Marley, um, not having as much familiarity with him, um, probably as you. I am very familiar with his music and his rich musical legacy, but to really do a deep dive down into his personal matters has really been an illuminating experience. And so, really let's get, get into get the to business. The Let's get to the mess. Because I think that this is, you know, and as we've said before with all the other folks that we featured during, um, you know, the Estate Matters experience, Estate Ready experience, um, mess is par for the course when it comes to dealing with, you know, uh, estate planning. And so... This is a culmination of sorts, but we should all, I, I personally take courage and am greatly affirmed uh, by, by all of this because it just lets me know that there, there are little things that I could do that would catch an estate planner off, off guard or by surprise because 
as we will see, you know, it gets, it gets good. So Bob Marley, also known as Robert Nesta Marley, was born on February 6th in 1945 in St. Anne's Parish. Fun fact, my baby was born right. February 4th. I just wanted to, you know, oh the Marlies, goodness. you know, the, the February Marlies. <laughs> There's just an alignment here, clearly. Um, he was born uh, in St. Anne's Parish in Jamaica, which is a rural vi- village known as Nine Miles. Uh, his father was a white British naval captain by the name of Norval Sinclair Marley who was nearly 60 at the time of his birth. His mother's name was Sedelia, is it Aditha or Editha? I think it's Aditha. That's why I think it is. Okay, so Sedelia Aditha, also known as Sedella Booker, uh, was a Jamaican singer and a songwriter. Uh, the couple planned to get married, but Norval, uh, by Marley's dad, left Kingston before they could actually do that and ended up passing away in 1955 after only seeing Bob uh, just one time. Uh, his mother later died in April of 2008, so much, much later. Um, but, you know, that's sort of his origin story, if you will. Um, one of his childhood friends in St. Anne's uh, was Neville, also known as Bunny O'Reilly Livingston. They both attended the very same school and they shared a rich love of music. Um, and Bunny went on to inspire Molly to learn to play the guitar. Um, later, Bunny's dad and Molly's mom became involved um, and they all lived together in Kingston in 1950 in what is known as Trenchtown, one of the cities. And I'm, I'm uh, sure that some of you have heard of Trenchtown Rock. But yes, Trenchtown yes, is one of the one of the poorest neighborhoods in Jamaica. But a lot of great music has come out of Trenchtown. Right, it's considered the Motown of Jamaica. Um, and although Bob uh, struggled uh, with poverty, um, as many of our musical faves of of uh, our culture, he found inspiration in the music around him. Because one thing Black people know how to do, honey, is enjoy mm-hmm. ourselves in the hard times. We know how to we know how to make a good time out of uh, a terrible situation. I like um, to say, uh, and- like uh, yesterday, I was talking to some high schoolers, and so I did mm-hmm. some research on a young rapper called Young Dolph. He has a line oh, yes. in one of his songs that says, "I turned dirt into diamonds." That's major. I know that's so, right. Young yes. Dolph recently passed away, so he did to him. Which is yes, why when I talked wife. to the high schoolers yes. about estate planning, I had to talk to some, I had to talk to them about somebody that they could relate to. So I was talking about young Dolph. Oh my yeah. God. So yeah, shout out to, to him, to his family. And his, I think he had two sons, very sad. Yeah. Um, but a daughter and a son. A Marley, daughter, and a son. daughter and a son. Marley and, uh, Bob Marley and um, Bunny or Livingston uh, they met, uh, you know, had another childhood friend that they met in Trenchtown named Peter, um, and they started a group called the Whalers. And the first single of the Whalers was called Simmer Down and went to the top of the uh, charts in Jamaica in January of 1964. And so by this time, you know, the group uh, grew and expanded to include Junior Braithwaite, Beverly Kelso, and Cherry Smith. And uh, this group, the Whalers, became pretty popular in Jamaica. Um, mm-hmm. but struggled uh, to make it and, and had some financial challenges, hardship, um, you know, and eventually split up as, you know, a lot of groups do. Uh, and Bob Marley went to the United States with his mom. Now, I will just say um, here that the Whalers, 
the Whalers is a very famous group in Jamaica. There's lots of music mm-hmm. that comes from them. And I mean, 1960. So this was my parents were um, adolescents at this time. So they're very, mm-hmm. they love this music, even sometimes more than Bob's individual music. The Whalers, oh, wow. the songs from the Whalers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. So like, um, it's kind of like the originals, like, you know, like, you know, Bob, Bob yeah. Stark, which is probably pretty amazing stuff. Um, so before, you know, so like I said, uh, after the Willis split up, Bob moved to the United States where his mother was living. That was in 1964. But before he moved to the United States, he married his wife, Rita. Um, or no, was that after? It says, it says before he left Kingston, so it must have been. Okay, so he let, he married his wife, his wife, Rita in February of 1966. And although she was only 19, they already had a daughter. She already had a daughter from a previous relationship, which Bob went on to adopt. I'm going to go uh, ding ding right here because okay. remember, remember everybody that your mm-hmm. stepkids are not your kids. But mm-hmm. if a child was either born of you or you adopted that child, that those children both have the same status in your life. So they're your kids if they were born of you or they were adopted. So even though we know that it was Rita's daughter when she came into the marriage, she was Bob's daughter, according to the law, since he adopted her. Yes, he was. she was legally adopted. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Bob and Rita went on to have three more children as his musical career continued to grow and flourish with Rita remaining a backup singer in uh, her husband's band. Their marriage was not a conventional marriage. No, it was not, uh, not by any means. (laughs) Not by any means or stretch of the imagination. And listen, grown people do what they want to do. So it worked for me. Okay, I don't have any, it worked for them. So it worked for me. Rita and Bob within this marriage went on to have children with other people. While both remaining married to one another. Both of them. Yes. Did. <laughs> not one or the other. Both Rita and Bob had, and I don't even know if it's fair to call them side babies, but they were babies with other individuals <laughs> within the boundaries of their marriage. Um, okay, so touch your neighbor and say fluidity. Uh, it is widely known <laughs> that uh, Bob had several other kids with several other women. Okay, several. Okay, and I I want you to use your imagination with that term, several. Uh, GQ magazine reported that he had eight children by eight women who were not his Mm -hmm. wife. So that's in addition to the three children and the one adopted child. So there were eight women, eight children. And on Rita's part, uh, GQ uh, reported that she had two children by other men while married to Bob. So there are bevy. Of, of children in this equation and as time went on in their relationship Rita admitted that the infidelities did hurt her but she was so I mean Bob was very indiscriminate with it Bob was very I mean, indiscriminate with it that's just it's it a lot it of kids lots I mean it was a very tangled web I'm just saying um, it was just, it was just was being so, slung with it was being slung with no no protection I mean, you know it's just reckless so many children <laughs> reckless abandon and um still you know she acknowledged that there was such a deep level of love there for bob that she stayed so even though loyal. her own jealousies uh bob, bob and you know their their 
she also talked about their, their jealousy being mutual. So Bob had, you know, he was just as in it with her as well. The as iron in the knees. In with him. And, uh, you know, and she felt that, which, which you know, uh, sort of made me shift in my seat a little bit. She, her, her rationale was that because Bob was still jealous that she was with other men, that's how she knew that he, he loved her, which, all right. <laughs> um, the I mean, I would prefer for that not to be the standard for me. And it, it, that's me, okay. right? You know, Rita and Bob that's had something... Me. Rita and Bob had something totally different. It was totally different. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. judge it. I'm just mm-hmm. going to say for me, myself and I. Um, yes. Yes. And you. so Mm-mm. there was a, a evolution in their relationship as well, because uh, in later interviews, Rita was reported as saying she felt more like Bob's sister than his wife. Um, and uh, she she <laughs> felt like, you know, she became his sister. She, at a certain point, she became his mother and even his guardian angel, really feeling like God had called her to this. She felt a responsibility to him. Um, and, you know, listen, I'm not here to have any sort of judgments about that. And so I'm just going to leave that right where it is, okay? And so, um, listen, Okay. Rita said, Rita Marley. said, look, you know, no matter what's Listen. going on, I'm the one he actually married. I'm the one that is is singing back up for him. I'm the one that's singing with him. I'm the one that travels with him. So, you know, Listen. no matter what's going on, like, you know, everybody else is a baby Listen. mama. You know? I mean, I and and hey, that's what, Listen, everyone got their Listen. own standards to set, <laughs> you know? For yeah, me and my everyone house. is free to do that. Hello. And okay, so we, but we're not talking about my house right now. <laughs> what is crazy though to me is that um as busy as they were baby making, they were still out here making music and making music Bob's and money was thriving. Okay, we were in a place of prosperity and wealth, everyone was flourishing. Uh there were many, many awards and achievements. Um he was uh uh, identified as the world, he served as the world ambassador for reggae music. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and has sold he more should've. than 20 million records. I see very well shit because the talent is undeniable. undeniable. Um, and, and, but, you know, back in Jamaica, he was, uh, you know, seen as a supporter of the People's National Party um, and his influence. So let me in just stick a pin here. Brand. Let me just stick a yes, pin here that in, in Jamaica, so how, you know, if you really wanted to simplify it, you've got Republicans and you've mm-hmm. got Democrats in um, in the U.S. In Jamaica, you had different uh, political parties as well. So you had uh-huh. um, the PNP, <clears throat> which is the People's National Party in Jamaica. And then you had the JLP, which is the Jamaica Labor Party in Jamaica. So those are the two major political parties in Jamaica that have kind of battled back and forth in terms of mm-hmm. similar to how Democrats and Republicans operate here that have battled back and forth for control of legislature and right. laws and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's what that is about. And, you know, things can get very, I don't know if you guys have ever argued very with suspicious. Jamaican before, but it, it, it can get very <laughs> animated. Okay, if you've never, if you've never argued with Jamaican before, have you argued 
you know what closest thing you could come to it is i want you to go and if you got a southern grandmama i want you to go and argue with her about grits like it get that's that's all of jamaican arguments all of them say something disrespectful to your southern grandmama about her grits and that is all Jamaican arguments. So just, just very, it's a very in, insight, impassioned. There's a deep rooted, you know. He has, he has been at our dinner deep. table. <laughs> he has been at our dinner table on a Sunday, and we're all fine. Anything. But when we get into yes. our debates, it is very. It gets very loud, <laughs> very quickly. It's, there's an intensity, and I think that you know, you know, which is which is great context. And so. Given this intensity and given the political tension, you know, there was, you know, these were not, you know, uh, diplomatic conversations many of the times. And so uh, in uh, 1976, while um, uh, Bob and band were rehearsing for a, uh, a concert that was supposed to be held at Kingston's National Heroes Park, um, it was a group of gunmen attacked Marley and uh, Rita and the Whalers while they were rehearsing. And it was the night of December 3rd, 1976. Um, uh, they, you know, there was an assassination attempt. Um, so, you know, they, they believed it was tied. Yeah, they believed it was tied yeah. to like his affiliation, his affiliation to the yes, political the, party. So, yeah. Yes. Um, Bob still went on, you know, after the attempt went on and played the show and, you know, this is one of those more historic moments and, and, um, you know, those, those are the kinds of the kinds of things that we remember, um, along with this rich musical legacy. Unfortunately, as we have come to know, Bob Marley died, uh, later on in 1981 from melanoma, a form of skin cancer, um, that actually began, it started in his toe, but spread mm-hmm. all the way to, his brain and that is what uh claimed his life uh in 1981 and so uh at that time you know given all of these things that we have discussed in the many 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 children um you know this is where we get into what that means for Bob's estate um and and so forth and so on so let's go on and get on to that so he let's start at the very beginning in that he did not have an estate plan so 20 million records all of this money all of these children and there was nothing in place uh to to sort of help us figure out how to map out this very very um complicated uh uh, arrangement and so i'm going to pass the baton to you because this is your speciality <laughs> yeah so mm-hmm. listen so his estate was in was estimated it has been estimated back in 1981 to be like 30 million dollars but here's the thing there's a lot of money I mean, in you have seen but here's the thing you have seen marley stuff all over the place there's licensing there's I'm also still seeing it Yes. So there is an estimate that even on a yearly basis, there's another 20 million that comes into his estate. There's so much money tied to Bob Marley and his estate, which makes, you know, the fact that there was no estate plan, the fact that it it makes it so important. And I want to stick a pin here and just, I'm actually going to switch up some of the points that I thought I was going to make because it actually reminds me of why it's so important about the conversations we're having because mm-hmm. in, because, you know, underneath it all, I, I am a research nerd. So I'm not a PhD, like, like Dr. Kia over here 
You know what I'm saying? So I don't, I don't have official research, but here's some of the things that I did look at. When you look at Black people's relationship with this country, their historical relationship with this country, there has mm-hmm. not been a positive relationship between Black people and the law, even now. That's a very, very diplomatic way to put it. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I did the best I could. You see, you see that? I, I yeah. tried to do the best I could. That was actually very good. I was very, yes, I'm inspired by that. Here, here, here is actually one of the impacts of that is that mm-hmm. I was just talking to someone about the fact that the law and specifically laws related to your estate is the only thing that's going to impact every single person that is alive. It is the, the only thing that touches every single person is laws related to your estate because everybody's going to die and the laws Mm -hmm. related to your estate are related to people who die. So if you are a person who is living, the laws are going to apply to you. But here, when you look at the historical, when you, when you look at the the history of black people Mm -hmm. in this country and other countries and related to the law, black people and lawyers, when they would engage with lawyers, they weren't engaging with lawyers for a positive thing. Mm-hmm. They were engaging with lawyers to help them to fight discriminatory policies at work. They were engaging with lawyers to help them stay out of jail. They were help dis, you know, engaging with lawyers to help them sue police departments that they felt like were um, being discriminatory and abusive in the way that they were policing in their communities. There, wasn't, there has not been a good history, a positive history of black people and the law in this country and others, Jamaica included. So when you have someone who you look at what's going on in their estate and you just can't imagine that with all that money, you didn't have an estate plan. Bob Marley was a Rastafarian and Rastafarians didn't really like authority. They didn't really like the the suits Mm -hmm. coming down the street. So Mm -hmm. can you -hmm. you imagine Mm -hmm. whether there was a Rastafarian lawyer who was like, hey, Bob, with all you're doing, you should really do your estate planning. (laughs) No, No. just like it really has been in the last decade or so that the amount of estate planning attorneys who look like us have really come to the forefront. And all of us are still trying. There's still so many of us that have no idea what the impact of what we're talking about is. And Mm -hmm. they learn it after someone hasn't done it. And that is a lot. There's most black people's experience with laws related to the status after someone has died and something hasn't been done. So here is point number one, the law has been racist and has been applied in a racist way. And it has caused us to be so suspicious of anything related to the law that we refuse, we have historically refused to engage with it in a way that works to our benefit. So we have to change our minds about how we're looking at the law and members of the legal profession to see, is there a positive interaction? Is there a positive way that I can interact with the law? Estate planning is one of those very few things where you're actually saying, I'm learning about what's going to happen with the law and I'm going to proactively do something so that what happens ends up being in me and my family's benefit. And, and that be is fair, a shift. I, for sure. To be, I was going to say, to be fair, I think, you know, now, uh, especially given where we are in terms of time, um, things are, there's a lot more representation yeah. in, in, within these things. And we, with that, 
folks like you and I as professionals have an understanding of the systemic nature of oppression and how it works. And so we've been, you know, afforded opportunities to sort of avail ourselves of education that helps us to understand how these systems work, what information we need to uh, negotiate them, but also to dismantle them. But, you know, thinking about these things, I mean, <clears throat> I guess I'm trying to say that now we, I think we are better positioned to sort of empower ourselves to sort of understand yes. how these things work, what we need to do within them, how to work around them in ways that don't compromise our values or further exacerbate, yes. you know, our oppressed or marginalized, marginalized position as people of color. And Absolutely. so um, I love that, that understanding or that framing, right? And so in times past when we needed to be cautious of folks taking advantage of us by mm -hmm. the law, there mm -hmm. are now many more of us who have been schooled and understand the system and how it works. Um, and so yes. now that we understand the game, we know how to play it and we know how to change it. And I think our advantage. we can take yes. full of, yes, we can take full advantage of that. And, and I think that's why this particular programming is so important for us. We got to like reclaim all of that, that business. Yes, I mean, I would, I would love for all of us to reclaim our time and our money mm -hmm. using, sure. uh, using competent legal representation by people who look like us, understand our families because they have the same types of families, they have the same types of issues, and can speak to us in such a way that really helps us, just like you said, to protect our values, the things that matter the most to us, um, because at the end of the day, the way this law, the way these laws are set up, it is ultimately the on the onus is on us to be able to do these sort of things. So when we don't do it, it it's our families who are disadvantaged. Absolutely. So I, I wanted to start there just because um, Bob is not the first rich black person who mm -hmm. was not using attorneys to his advantage. For sure. Because, I mean, you know, <laughs> yes. a lot of people talk about how, you know, Aretha didn't put money in banks because mm -hmm. at the, when Aretha was growing up, banks weren't very nice to black people. <laughs> right. Just, just be real. So it's just sure. one of those things that it's, it's, I'm not saying that you have to use a black estate planner when you're doing it, but you should be using an estate planner who understands uh, some of the historical things, because then when they're talking to you, they realize that they're not talking to a third, fourth generation person who's doing estate planning. They're talking to someone who is who is the impetus of change for their entire family and their entire bloodline. And that that Absolutely. is a that is a burden and a responsibility and a calling that I have found that black estate planners are willing to just say out loud so that you can feel so that because because it's the truth and also so that when people are engaging with them, they understand that they understand them. So I just wanted to start there. <laughs> For sure. um, but here's the thing, right? When it comes to Bob's estate, oh, there's so much in the estate, but I'm going to tell you a little story. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you a little story about why we should always be careful about who we use as advisors. I guess this will be point number two. Like to hear a story? Mm -hmm. Here you go. So um, a few years after Bob died, um, there was... There was a lot of things that happened. Uh, Rita was the one who ended up becoming the executor of Bob's estate. Uh, 
the problem is, is that we knew that, that Bob hadn't done much, but the advisors to the estate that Rita had chosen, this is in the report. So I'm going to say allegedly, just in case this podcast mm-hmm. goes viral or something like that. And I don't want to get <laughs> us to get sued. But allegedly right. what the people did was they forced her to sign a fake will in the late mm. 80s um, in order to allow for more of the estate to come directly to Rita. So here's the thing, right? Remember we talked about the fact that that Bob and Rita, there's a lot of kids happening. Mm-hmm. And so typically when you don't have a will, uh, a lot of people will think, oh, the estate is going to go to the wife. No, because in a lot of jurisdictions, the estate is split between a spouse and the children of the decedent, the children of the person who died. And depending, I will tell you, here in the great state of Maryland, that split looks different if the children of the person who died are also the children of the spouse that they left. If they're the children of the spouse that they right. left, it goes one way. If they're not the children of the spouse that they left, it goes another direction. And if they're adults versus minors, it goes in another direction. So. So what these lawyers tried to do, and I hate this because it gives lawyers a bad name, but what these lawyers tried to do is they tried, they got her to sign and and post date something as if it was Mm -hmm. signed during Bob's lifetime so that more of the estate could go to Rita. Rita's perspective, Rita's perspective was she signed what she was given and she trusted them. And I'm certain that they told her whatever, so Rita herself was not sanctioned. She didn't have to pay money to the estate. The advisors did have to pay money to the estate. But what happened was Rita was removed as mm. the as the executor, executor of the estate because it was because of her that this happened. And so because of that, so, I want go ahead. Question. Yeah. So um was there precedent in the like I guess the eyes of the law, because is this is this happening in Jamaica or is this happening? Where is this happening? So this is happening in Jamaica, but let me make it more relevant to those who are listening here because I was a part of a case where someone did this exact same thing. So this the is common. Well, okay. Yeah, it, I wouldn't say it's common, but I would say but it that it's, happen. it, it happens, that it does happen. Okay. There was a case that we were doing when I worked for my, uh, for my old boss, it was a case that we were doing where the husband who died, mm-hmm. um, his adult kids were not the children of his wife and okay. they were children born during the marriage of his wife. Okay. Oh, wow. Very similar sort of situation. Mm-hmm. We were representing the children because the wife was trying to keep them out of the estate. So first we had to prove that they were the person they were that that was their father Uh she was denying it even though she knew them but then the second thing that we realized is that he owned a business that had very valuable properties um in this area and so Mm. what they did was they created an operating agreement post like like dated it back to before he died Mm. that gave the wife everything and left the kids nothing and we were able to prove in court that the documents were created after death, which meant that they didn't apply in the estate. So it's not 
it, like you have to watch it because there will be advisors for people who who want to who believe that in zealous advocacy for their clients they will advise mm. their clients to fill out paperwork that that allows for the estate to go more in their direction as opposed to the way the law says it and as much as it hurts me to tell people i know that you think that this is the way that the estate will go but here's how the law is set up. It's not my fault. I didn't create the law. I didn't tell the person right. who died not to do a will. So it's better for me to be honest and not to right. use my position as an attorney to try and cheat other people out of the out of what the law says that they get because of the way the estate is set up. So it's 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 something so that people do. How was it determined in the, in this case, like of the case of Rita? How was it determined that the that the law uh, will that she signed was was fake I think that they they probably just looked at the fact that the estate was opened I didn't I didn't get to look closely into okay. that particular case but I I think that they probably looked at the documents that were submitted they looked at any signatures that were on there they looked at dates because it's the thing when something goes to the court the court is going to look at it very carefully because right. anything that's a part of the court record, the court is supposed to be able to rely on it to say, once this is valid, this is how it goes. And for an estate like Bob Marley's, that was worth what it was. I know that the mm -hmm. court was looking very closely at it. So it is sad that those advisors had her do that. Um, and, and remember, they, they did it years later. So you come in with mm. a, a will years later saying that Rita gets nowhere. more, like yes. the court is going to be like, and, let me take a look at this. Let me ask some questions. And so this is they will, something they will that do is that. going to be checked. Yes, it's going to be yes. something that's going to be checked for validity. And so this is, it's just best to tell the truth. Yeah. It is best to tell the truth. And this, this is what kind of takes me to um, my second point, which is just about choosing the right advisors for you. Like when you're mm -hmm. doing estate planning, even when someone hasn't done estate planning and you want to do this for anything that is related to your money, your financial wellness, whatever, you want to be really careful about who you choose as an advisor. You want mm -hmm. to have the type of questions that you know that you can get a gauge about who they are and what their values are. If, if you're just looked at as just another revenue source, or if you're looked at as a valued client, a human who needs this sort of help and they're set up to help you, right? When I tell, talk to clients, I talk about the fact that I'm values-based. I talk about the fact that I am data-informed in the way that I help my clients because that gets us to the best conclusion, I believe. I'm honest and upfront uh -huh. with my clients. I remember there was one time when I had a client who wanted to have a particular type of estate plan, and I don't really do this a lot, um, but the type of estate plan she wanted to have was the cheapest one, but it was the one that I knew was going to cost her family thousands of dollars later. And so I told uh -huh. her, if you want to do that, you can just find another attorney to do it. I'm not going to do it for you. And she was surprised because she was like, wait, are you firing me? I'm sorry, I'm not firing you because you're not my client, <laughs> but you're not listening to me and I know what I'm doing. So what you want to do right. is you want to take the cheap route. And that's, that's, along your goals, but I'm, I'm going the route where it might be a bigger investment now, but it's a bigger saver on the back end and the things that your family needs and that you need. So I am not going to be the attorney for you. If you think that that's the route you want to go. And ultimately she came back to me 
and decided to hire mm. me and went with my recommendation because she said she valued the fact that I was honest and upfront with her. And you have to look for advisors that are the same. You don't want to just, there are people who are out here and they are happy to see people die without wills because it means mm. that they are about to rack it up in the court system and they about to make a whole lot of money and you got to watch them to make sure that they're serving your needs. Hmm. So it's bet, like you should absolutely bet and bet individuals mm-hmm. who, who, uh, you know, in, in their credentials and experiences, this is not a situation that you just want to just have anybody advising you through. Yeah. Which is a, don't, a hard don't just lesson Google it. that Rita had to learn. Yes. 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 Don't just Google it. I think that, that recommendations are probably the best way to go. If you can find mm-hmm. a way to get a recommendation, if you don't know an estate planning attorney personally, then go to, you can Google your local bar association. It's a group of lawyers. Mm-hmm. That's our, that's our lawyer group. And you can ask them for a list of estate planning attorneys, or look, you can email me. And if you're in a state where um, I know an estate planning attorney, I'll give you a recommendation, but you just want, you want to go for trusted advisors. For All sure. right. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. As a part of, of the estate, one of the other things that, that Rita kind of got caught up into in a controversy with, with the estate was in 1991, there was a civil lawsuit um, by the Marley estate. So this was after she lost her privileges as the executor of the estate. So at the administrator at that time said that Rita and a family lawyer and an account, they had defrauded the estate up to $20 million. And it's because she was accused of like forging certain checks by signing them in her husband's name. But here's the thing. She said she wasn't aware of what she had been signing and ultimately she was cleared of it. But what she was trying to do is she was trying to get money to financially support those people who had been in Bob's inner circle. So she was trying Um. to do what she believed Bob wanted her to do. Um, She was trying to, you know, give money to the members of the whalers. Remember we talked about that, Um, trying Mm -hmm. to get money to like his parent, you know, like to family members, right. That was not Mm -hmm. just her and the children. And the problem with that is that that is not how the law said the money was supposed to go. Here is another lesson for today. Today is lesson number three is that the law and your life or the law and your preferences are many times in conflict, many times Mm -hmm. in conflict. And when you don't write down in a legally enforceable way, i.e. through a will, power of attorney, that kind of stuff, a trust, if you don't write down what your desires and preferences and values are, and I want money to go to my boys from my band, I want money to go to my grandmama, and I want money to go to my friends who have supported me, and I want money to go to my godchildren, da-da-da-da-da, what's going to happen is the law is going to apply. And even if someone wants to do what you would have wanted to be done, quote unquote, the law is going to be like, nah. And there, this, this is not uncommon. This is actually very common. Here's another story. Like to hear, here go. We were in (laughs) the same jurisdiction and there was Uh a family. It was a guy who died. He died in DC and he had a house in DC and it was worth a lot of money because DC houses are worth much more money, much more money than they were worth 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. He died and he had three adult children. One of those children died and 
when that child died, their two adult children took over. Mm-hmm. So you had four people who were set to inherit. Dad said, I want the house to stay in the family. But the two grandchildren who were set to inherit a third said, no, nah, I just want, I just want my money. I don't, I don't want the house. I want my money. So the two adult mm-hmm. children wanted to keep the house, but the two adult grandchildren wanted their money. Want to know what the court did? The court was like, so the way the law works is that four people can't split a house if four people don't want the house. So unless you guys buy them out, you're going to have to sell the house. That was it. Mm. And to her credit, the judge was very sympathetic. She was like, I understand what you're saying. I understand you're saying that your father wanted the house to stay in the family. I understand that, that this is a part of your legacy, but this is what the law says. And the law Mm -hmm. says, if the four of you don't agree, the house gets sold. So unless the four of you come back and agree, or unless the two of you buy out the two that don't agree, I'm going to have to order that the house is sold and the money is split. And those children were devastated. Split the babies. It's biblical. That's it. We've been here before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And no side was willing to give up theirs. So... The baby got split. <laughs> this is the thing, right? So this is the thing. So was it that the house was sold and it was split between the yep. four of them? Yep. And so this is the thing. So so the, this lesson goes back to the very beginning um, in terms of the only way to ensure that your desires are fulfilled posthumously. The only way to make sure that, that things happen the way that you want to is for you to formally establish them before you pass away in a court-sanctioned way, in a legally sanctioned, the way that the law yes, acknowledges. And, and so that yes, is literally, there's no other means by which you ensure that what you want to happen will happen. And so if there are things that you know for sure that you want to happen, then it is in your best interest. It's actually your only interest to do it. Just no other option. (laughs) I just wanted to say that very clearly because these these are key examples of what happens when we don't have things in place at the right time. Yes. Um, it, it, it results in time and expense. So like you said, this happened in 1991. This is now 10 years after Bob passed. And so- No, no Bob died in 1981. So this is actually 30, isn't it 30? Oh. Where are we? Yes. No, 40. Oh my. So I was thinking, I, I guess I got confused with this, this example and the example that you were given of like, you know, the other the examples started to run together on me. The point is, there's yeah. been a whole lot of time where these things have been in flux, in limbo. Yes. And all during that time, not only was it, it's a matter of like emotion and stress and tension being on the table, but mm-hmm. people still getting paid, fees being paid. People getting charged by the hour for 40, 40 years, it tends to become cost prohibitive. So yes. literally, this is the only way to go about making sure that you secure the bag. Secure the it. Now I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do a bonus secure. lesson. I'm gonna do a bonus right. state lesson before we leave today. Because I mean, like I said, it's just so much mess. <laughs> so much. But 
one of the things that uh, people people don't realize is that um, estate planning is not just what you do for yourself as an individual, right? Like you as an individual mm-hmm. might own a house, you as an individual might have a life insurance policy, you as an individual might have retirement, bank accounts, mm-hmm. cars, family. Mm-hmm. There is also estate planning for your business. So you mm-hmm. don't have to have the type of business that made the type of money that Bob Barley's business made. Mm-hmm. You don't have mm-hmm. to have that level of it. Because at this point, you know, Bob Marley's estate has, they, they did like a special guitar. They've got the Bob Marley Museum. They got a recording studio. They've got a vinyl and CD pressing plant. They've got books. They've got family merch. They've got cannabis and body care products. I mean, they've got all sorts of things <laughs> that have come mm. through the estate. The estate is a business. But some of us own businesses right now right now you're like oh me my little business let me tell you something like to hear another story here you go Mm -hmm. so here we go there's a woman who her husband died and uh he was a he was a dj so Mm -hmm. we we think of that oh oh you're just a dj on the side my man's was was official with it had an llc for his little dj business and when he died unexpectedly he had five thousand dollars in his little business bank account Okay. Didn't have a will. So there was a lot of, of stuff to get through it. Pandemic hit, things were delayed, Mm -hmm. but it took so much to get access to that bank account that the amount of legal fees it took to get access to that bank account account. almost made the bank, getting the bank account, not worth it. I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm not even going to hold you because when it comes to business stuff, your estate planning documents are for your personal stuff, but there is what we call estate planning for businesses. If you've got an LLC, you, you should have an operating agreement that talks about what happens in case of incapacity and what happens to the stuff owned by the LLC, like a bank account when you die. And it has to be executed mm-hmm. in a particular way. If you've got an S corp, you should have a shareholders agreement. If you've got a corporation, any type of business that you have that is legally separate from you as an individual, meaning anything that's not a sole proprietorship. You need to have a document for the business itself or else you're actually going to further complicate the resolution of your estate for even something Mm. as little as $5,000 in the bank account for a DJ who had no idea how hard it was going to be for his surviving wife to try and get that money for it to be a part of his estate. Had no idea. This is this is so key since we're in such a cultural way that is leaning toward entrepreneurship, which is yes. amazing, right? But all of this is why it's so important to know that saying you're a boss and being a boss are two different things. And so with the responsibility of ownership as it relates to you and your business, you also have the responsibility for ensuring that in the event that you are incapacitated in any way, that your business does not suffer as a result. And so I'm thinking about like folks, even like myself, when I think about like, you know, like a lot of my, a lot of my, even if I think like, think about the way my accounts are set up, I have, you know, monies in my business account that, you know, if something should happen to me, there's really nobody in place to, to have to get that money or have access to that money. And so it would just sit there, uh, which would, you know, as is the case with this example, 
really be a burden to the people that yeah. I will be leaving leaving behind. And so as our businesses grow, as we grow, and you know, especially in this age where things can change so quickly, like you know, folks can go viral and become millionaires in weeks. And so and I love it to is, see it. <laughs> yeah. It's and but it's but it's no I don't want to say it's no point, but in the same way that we are as serious about our businesses growing, we have to be as serious about sustaining them beyond the right now. Yes. 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 That's exactly it. And I'm so, you said it, you said it's so key because anything that matters to us, we should want to protect. And the truth is, is that this is the only area of law that all of us will be impacted by. So let's do our best for that impact Mm -hmm. to be positive, right? Okay. So today's four lessons because (laughs) the Marley estate is a, it's a unique one. Today's four Mm -hmm. lessons. Number one, Historically, Black people haven't trusted the law and for good reason. And yet we need to shift so that we can, you know, position ourselves for the law to work in our benefit. Lesson number two, trusted advisors save you money. You can either have a good advisor who's going to help you to get through the estate process, do your estate planning well, or you go for the cheapest, you know, shadiest lawyer and they might defraud you. All right. Number three, Mm. the law and your preferences and your life can be in conflict. That's why it's so important for us to take the time, decide what we want, write it down in a legally enforceable way. So we don't have to worry about the law superseding what we want our life to look like. And finally, your business needs an estate plan too. And so I hope that you take these four lessons and you do one thing in the next week to get estate ready. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at estatereadypodcast at gmail.com. So glad that you join us for another week and we hope that you take care, love on yourself and love on one another. In Jesus' name. Oh, that's right. See y'all. <laughs> Bye.